Hello, and welcome to Switching Majors. I'm your host, Mary Ellen Pesanello, and this is episode four. How the hell do I write a resume? Hello, hello, and welcome back to Switching Majors. Hey guys, it's Mary Ellen. I am so excited for episode four because this is a big one. This is how to write your resume. I touched a little bit on this in our LinkedIn episode where I think I said it pretty well. The resume is the gateway to the job. Your resume is going to be used for so many different reasons as you go through your career, from networking to applications to maybe even applying for grants or, you know, an MBA, continuing education. A resume is a living document, and you're going to be stuck with this thing for the rest of your goddamn life. So, like anything, let's get the foundation of this resume totally perfect, as close to perfect as we can. So then when you have to go update it in the future, the work isn't as daunting. In our last episode, we talked about how as you're writing your job descriptions on LinkedIn, you are really crafting those to a point where they are resume ready. So even if maybe you have five descriptive bullets to explain what you did at a role for a company, by the time that you get to the resume, you're only going to include maybe two to three of those, maybe five, depending on your experience. If you've done your homework, if you have crafted your LinkedIn text very, very well, we are now to just a copy and paste job. And ultimately, it's up to you how much you want to copy and paste. So, but remember, just like we're updating our LinkedIn all the time, we're updating our resume all the time. I cannot stress this enough. I know I just said it, but this is a living document. I update my resume at minimum once a month. And to help myself keep it all straight, I make sure that I save my resumes with a proper naming convention so that I know what resume is what and which version is which. As we continue this discussion, let's remember that there are different types of resumes for different types of jobs. If you are going to apply to Bank of America, that's going to look very, very different compared to if you're applying to be a kindergarten teacher. It's different skill sets, different people, different income brackets, and your resume is something that should reflect the field and position that you are trying to get into and go for. Also, depending where you are in your job search and your career, one candidate could have multiple variations of their resume. I, for example, have a professional resume, a creative resume, a leave-behind resume, and a bunch of other supplemental materials that I use when I'm in the midst of an interview process. In this episode, we're going to be focusing the most on the formal resume. And for my formal resume, I teach something called the table format. And while I wish that the table format could be totally explained over audio and via a podcast, it just cannot. 
So if you go to maryellenpesanello.com, you will find a video tutorial that shows you how to build your resume in a table format. And all you need to know about it for right now is that keeping your resume in a table format allows for the resume to remain unaffected by any additions or subtractions that you need to make to the document. Spacing and formatting is very, very important. And the table format allows for us to keep our spacing and formatting consistent through the document. So like I said, go watch that video and let me know if you have any questions. You really need to see what I'm doing there. But for the sake of this podcast, let's get into the bigger takeaways and discussion points of a resume. I'm going to start with keeping your resume to one page. I've said this on previous episodes. Keep it to one page. I don't give a fuck who you are or what you're doing, but it is my opinion that no one has goddamn time to read more than one page of a resume. When you are applying for a job, an internship, a position, what have you, you should have a one-page version of your resume that is ready to best represent you. If it is longer than a page, I would expect you to have had a career that was over 30 years long. If at some point in the interview process, you need to supply additional information, there are resumes for that. I mentioned them before. They are the creative resume. They are the job-specific resume. But regardless, these are supplemental materials. These are extra things. You need one page that is your go-to, number one, ride-or-die resume. And that baby is one damn page. I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but unfortunately I do. Your name is the most important thing on the resume. It should be the biggest text on the resume. My name, as we all know, is Mary Ellen Pesanello. I go by Mary Ellen. However you display your name on your resume is how you should be addressing yourself and how you should expect other people to address you. Now, of course, you can take like liberties with this. Um, if your name is Jack, but really it's John, that, that's fine. No one really cares. If your name is Michael, but you go by Mike, Michael might sound more professional to you. That's a personal call. But because I go by two first names, that is why I am including my middle name. I also have a friend, a family friend, whose first name is assumed to be a little bit more masculine. So her name is Sean. She includes her middle name on her resume because her middle name can show that she is actually a girl. Um, those are all personal choices. If you have a full robust first name like Alessandra, but you go by Allie, you can include that in parentheses if you want to. But whatever you do do, in regards to displaying your name, you should make that as consistent as possible and really consider changing it on social handles, LinkedIn, what have you, so that everything is the same. Because especially if you have a name like Michael Smith, then you're going to want to make sure that you can distinguish yourself. I also want to address the question of whether or not you should include a headshot of yourself on your resume. Please do not do this. 
In the United States, it is not customary to include a headshot of yourself on your resume. Don't do it. That's what LinkedIn is for. I do not have that much experience internationally. I know that this is a thing in several other countries, but especially in the United States, employers today are trying to encourage their hiring managers to avoid unconscious bias. So do not include your photo. Please don't. Then as we move down in the resume, you need to include obvious contact for yourself. This includes your cell phone number, a professional email. And when I say a professional email, I mean something that reads appropriately. So mary.ellen.pesanello at gmail.com. I also have the opportunity to use an at edu address if I want to, but the only discouragement I would give there is that if you are still relying on your university's email and you're not a recent graduate, that might look a little bit out of place. It's not going to hurt you, but it's just food for thought. And then finally, you're going to want to include the vanity URL of your LinkedIn and or your personal website. You guys should be on my personal website. I have one, but I am also 30 years old with 10 years experience and trying to start a podcast, so I pay for Squarespace. If you are a young 20-something who doesn't have a lot to show in terms of work that you've done, maybe you don't have a website. That's totally fine. Websites are expensive. LinkedIn profiles are free. You can also on your LinkedIn include links and photos and materials that show what you've done in the past. So again, a big theme of this podcast is to not throw money at your problems too early. So having a LinkedIn as opposed to a website is totally, totally fine. Now let's talk about the piece of contact information that I do not think you need to include. Your address. At the time of this recording, we are in a global pandemic and the vast majority of companies have issued work from home orders to their employees. Who cares where you live? The only time that you need to tell an employer your personal information, such as your address, is when you're filling out a W-9 form, which means that you got the job. So I think removing your address is totally fine. At most, if you feel uncomfortable about maybe misleading what area of the country you're in, you can put New York, New York if you want to. But also, it's kind of redundant because this might get covered in an objective, a summary, or a later part of the resume. Also, let's say, for example, that you are a recent graduate of the University of Tennessee, but you're trying to target jobs in Los Angeles, New York, and Atlanta upon graduation. Including your Tennessee address might not work in your favor. So that's another reason why I say that having your address on your resume, just I wouldn't do it. It's it's not a big deal. Also, just touching on relocating after graduation, the phrase, quote, willing to relocate is something that you can include on your resume, but I assure you that if you get in front of an HR manager and start talking to them about prospectively working for that company, talking about relocation is something that you can do then. So now that we have tackled your name and how to get a hold of you, let's talk about the resume in full. 
before you even start adding in the descriptions of your experiences on your resume, I want you to first think about how you want to segment your resume so that it reads very well from top to bottom. A very, very typical way of segmenting or compartmentalizing your resume is to include experience, education, and skills. But Mary Ellen, what about an objective or a summary? Yeah, yeah, okay, I hear you. First, let me just be blunt. Objectives are stupid. If I am seeing your resume, you want a job. I think that doing an objective is just a little bit of a waste of space. However, a summary can be not only where you best describe yourself, but also an area where you might make up for any gaps that you might have in your resume or any extenuating circumstances that you need to explain. I've seen some great summaries from women who left the workforce to go raise their kids and now are returning. So as you think about if you want to include a summary, go that route. Don't put an objective. We all know we want a job. That's exactly what the resume is for. So refocusing back to experience, education, and skills, this breaks the resume into parts. So let's start with education first. A lot of you are recently graduating, maybe, or you're just starting in the workforce. I hate to tell you this, but the education part of your resume goes to the bottom of your resume the second that you graduate. I know, I know. As someone who went to the same university twice, I felt like a gut-wrenching situation when NYU went from my most prideful accomplishment to something that I buried at the bottom of the resume. You should be moving education to the bottom of your resume right before skills or additional information. It's just customary. It's just how it goes. This way, The second that I open a resume as someone who you've reached out to, whether for networking or for a job, I know exactly where you stand. If the first thing I see on your resume is school, I assume you're a full-time student. If the first thing I see on your resume is a job, I know you're working or seeking full-time employment. When it comes to actually writing about your education, again, I'm sorry to say that this should probably be the shortest part of your resume. So let's look at my resume, for instance, and considering the audience, we'll stick to undergrad for just a second. So I have New York University and the name of the school that I attended at that university. If your school did not have a school within it, then you don't have to mention that. I want to include that I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts and I did so from 2008 to 2012. You don't need to include the months and you don't need to include your GPA, honestly, because a lot of people honestly don't care in my experience. Then I want to go a little bit deeper. So I have one bullet that says film and television major, semicolon, minor in producing, semicolon, minor in documentary, semicolon, dean's list student, that right there says that I I have the GPA that you're looking for, so you don't need to know exactly what it was, semicolon, president's service award recipient. 
So what I've done here is I've condensed the four years into two lines, which is really, really a struggle. But again, I've also been working for a long time. So let's talk about what is okay to include in your education section, especially if maybe you don't have enough experience to fill out the rest of your resume. You can include relevant coursework as a bullet itself and list out the names of your classes that you took that you think would help you in the workforce. I do not advise this going longer than two lines. I also want to be sensitive to things that you've done in college that count as experience. So what are those things? Did you play a sport? Did you participate in Greek life? Did you participate in a club or did you hold a position on a board or something like that? There's two ways to approach this. On the one hand, if you've been working a little while, you could do what I've done, which is condense these things to one line, just list them out, and file it under education. However, if you're just starting your career and you don't have a lot of experience, you can add another section to your resume that we can call leadership or leadership and philanthropy, which is... Chef's Kiss, just one of my favorites. Let me explain. If you are involved in a campus organization, whether it be a sports team, a Greek life sorority or fraternity, or a club, chances are you're mandated to do some community service shit, okay? Great for you. Give back to the community. Love that. But I strongly advise that leadership or leadership and philanthropy is a section of your resume that maybe you include these activities in. So let's start with sports. I was like a fake athlete, okay? I managed the men's basketball team at NYU. So I certainly understand the time commitment to a sport in college, but I do not understand the physicality of it, and I only understand it from a Division three level. Lucky for you guys, I had two brothers play Division one sports and another brother uh, play Division three track and field. So I have a little bit of adjacent knowledge about this. When you are a very good collegiate athlete, the chances of your hiring manager having been one too is slim to none. I hate to say this, and I'm not saying that this happens all the time, but I have seen hiring managers that do not understand the commitment to athletics. They don't understand that like you can't intern during a semester because you have practice to go to. And then also, depending on who that hiring manager is and their insecurities, I have seen people scoff at student athletes and I think that it is such bullshit. So if that's the worst case scenario that someone's going to look at your resume and be like, oh, you know, an athlete, let's change the narrative. So you're going to want to take your jock status and you're going to want to put it into layman's terms. So let's take my brother Raymond, for example. He played Columbia football for four years. He was the captain of his team his senior year, and he estimated that maybe it took about 40 hours plus per week for him to devote to football. 
And then additionally, he participated in a Columbia football networking program. Those are very strong attributes of the football program that do not include games, hitting people, or getting drunk after you won. So I just want you to take this example as a way of reframing your thinking about how you talk about what you did in college that was in addition to your coursework. Greek life is a great example as well. I have mentored a lot of girls that were in sororities and each one of them has been very, very bright and I almost am pretty jealous that I wasn't in one myself when I talked to them. But I've also been on the other side of their resumes and I have heard hiring managers assume that they're dumb drunk chicks or dumb party girls and that being in Greek life is a negative. I want to reframe this for you guys. Everybody that participated in Greek life had to do some type of you know, um, give back or uh, volunteering, make that the center of your Greek life description. And then secondarily, you had to do some type of mentoring, whether it was being mentored by someone who was in the sorority fraternity before you or mentoring someone who came into the sorority or fraternity after you. So those are the two things that I would choose to write about if listing Greek life on your resume. And remember, with sports and Greek life, you don't just want to list that you did it. You want this supplemental material and descriptors so that if someone reads your resume, they're like, oh shit, like they really did a lot. And by controlling the narrative of, yeah, I volunteered my time a bunch, then you push the wayside the stereotypes of of these associations, which is like partying, big man on campus, type of getting drunk at a rager. We don't want that to be the narrative. We're writing our own. And then finally, if you were in any clubs at school, just make sure that what you do do is include the hours that you committed to these things each week. I think that a lot of the times, uh, especially hiring managers who are 10, 20 years out of college, kind of forget how much work it is. So by attaching the hours per week spent to the activity that you're describing, you reinforce what a commitment it is. This might be a little bit harder for those of you that played sports, but for those of you in Greek life or in a club, numbers, numbers, numbers. So if you planned an event, what was the total attendance? If you planned an event, how long did you spend planning it? If you raised money, did you raise a substantial amount of money? And for what charity? So remember, We are attaching tangible results to everything that we've done. And while the hours per week are an easy way to do it, if you can do it more than just hours per week, I encourage you to do so. So now briefly before we go into experience, which is really the meat and potatoes of a resume, I want to quickly go over skills. Skills is a section of the resume that is at the very, very bottom and briefly but robustly explains exactly what you know how to use and what you know how to do as an employee. So I'm going to give you some examples from my resume. Instead of listing out that I know how to use Microsoft Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Outlook, 
I have condensed this to Microsoft Suites. I want to start normalizing this. So by condensing this to just suites, you save a lot of space and you allow for other parts of your skill set to shine. So a really great skill set that I have that I am proud of is that I am a presentation creation and deck design specialist. And if any of you have been on my website and watched my presentation design tutorials, you know that I make a mean PowerPoint. That is something that I can take to the bank. And so that's why I lead first with it on my skill section. I follow that up with entertainment and media strategy because I do feel like I have a very robust sense of the industry that I work in and I am proud of that. But also if you're running low on space in your resume and you might not even get there until you've been working five or seven years, but this is an area of the resume where you can condense maybe a certificate or a class that you took and make it into a skill. One of the skills that I list here is YouTube channel management. And it's not just because I know how to manage YouTube channels. It's because when I was working at CBS, I was able to go get certified by YouTube in channel management. They gave me a plaque. It's very cute. And then also finally in the skills section, you want to not assume. So for instance, In this global pandemic, when we've all been working from home, Zoom has been a reliable piece of technology that everybody from my boss to my grandmother has been using. And I have that listed because it is more important than ever to ensure a prospective employer that I know what I'm doing rather than just like, maybe I do. I also have here listed that remote working is a skill because It is. So although some of these might be obvious, like I said, we just never assume. You want your skill section to be maybe two lines at most. Like I said, it's always at the very bottom of the resume. And I really think that this is a great opportunity for you to showcase some buzzwords that you might find in the job description. Now let's get to the meat and potatoes of your resume, which is your experience section. If you are new to the workforce, you are maybe listing internships. Uh, You could be including part-time jobs. It really depends on the story that you want to tell. But when we do list our experiences, we do so in reverse chronological order. So that means whatever the most latest position that you held whatever it is, that goes at the top of the resume. We all know that I currently work at Discovery at Food Network. That is the first thing that I have on my resume. I sometimes get a lot of questions of like, well, Mary Ellen, what if I have two jobs at one time? That's when the month that you started the job comes into play. We don't include months on our education section because they're pretty predictable. Either you graduated in May or you did so a semester early in January. But when you have two different jobs at one time and you started one in October, but you didn't start the other until December, that's how you make the distinguish of what position goes first. If you're still holding a current job, you list the date as July 2017 to present. And if the 
opportunity has since concluded, you would write July 2017 to October of 2019. That's how we best represent our dates on our resume. So on my resume, I have one experience section, and that includes uh, Discovery, CBS News, CBS Interactive, and AMC Networks. I list the company name. I list the title that I had. I list the city in which the opportunity was located. And this is the time in your resume to use months when speaking about dates. When it comes to talking about the jobs we did and devoting space on your resume, you want to use a big chunk of space to describe your most current or most relative position. So for example, while I've been at Discovery, I was a marketing manager of emerging digital platforms. And then in July of 2020, I moved to be a marketing manager of digital partnerships and promotions. So my entire Discovery experience is about one third of my resume. Then CBS News is a little bit shorter, but still pretty robust. And then when it comes to my beginning jobs, my executive assistant position, my entertainment account coordinator position, and then my junior manager position, those are each one bullet and maybe that bullet is two lines. I know that it can be hard for people just starting out with maybe not a lot of experience to think, how am I going to fill a resume? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to explain the experience that you have in the most detail that you can, and then you're going to utilize white space on your resume. So if you only have one internship from last summer, that can be one third of your resume as well. Then your education and your skills will take up the rest of some space. But also, what have you been doing in this time to get yourself ready for a job? Have you been doing any classes on LinkedIn learning? Have you been taking any master classes? Have you been getting your Google Analytics certification? I think that when you're starting out, there is a little bit more leeway between what you include on your resume, but I don't want you to throw things on there just for the sake of throwing things on there. I think that you can really make the formatting pretty nice and utilize that white space to convey your message to a potential employer. I just want to touch on this pandemic for a moment. I have been mentoring a lot of recent graduates, and at the time of this recording in December of 2020, that means that you graduated in May of 2020. So for over half a year, you've been out of work in a horrible economy where jobs are not happening for people, and maybe you've done some other things. That Starbucks job, door dashing on the side. So if you did find yourself having to take a Starbucks barista position in the pandemic just to have a source of income, and that is your most current employment, that can go at the top of the resume. And I would maybe include one line of a descriptor so that when you do list that relative internship or working experience secondary to the Starbucks position, that's going to come in with a much more full paragraph. So remember, Starbucks, one line, 
digital media intern at Twitter, whatever, that's like five lines. I don't think that there's anything wrong with doing what you have to do in the middle of unprecedented times. And although we are in a pandemic, if this was a normal year where you just couldn't find a job for a while, that's okay too. So that's my two cents on handling that. I know that I had mentioned making up these sections of your resume. So let's talk about what some of these sections could be. You could segment these as internships. You could say that they are experience in general. You could list things out under a corporate program section, a professional membership section. But I find that a lot of people coming out of school either have their internship that was only a summer long and maybe they have three years at Applebee's. There is nothing wrong as you are entering the workforce to include that job at Applebee's. The way in which you describe it, however, is something that I think we can work on. If you choose to include a Starbucks gig, a Chick-fil-A gig, what have you, I don't want to see that you busted tables and I don't want to see that you made drinks. I feel like that is implied. What I do want to see is I want to know how you managed personnel, how you created schedules, how you were promoted at that job, how you handled money, and most importantly, how you interacted with customers and provided customer service. Chick-fil-A is a company that is rigorous when it comes to customer service. And if I see a potential intern or a potential employee who's a recent graduate who's worked at Chick-fil-A, hot damn I am impressed. Sometimes you guys get very insecure about listing these jobs on your resume, especially when it's a part-time job and you're trying to start your career. I am here to tell you that if anybody makes you feel badly about including a server position or a part-time job on a resume, they are assholes and you probably do not want to work for them. I think that when you're strapped for experience, when you only have a few internships and you want to show more work experience, it is totally fine to include these jobs. The only caveat that I would say is that you should not allow Chick-fil-A to fill up half your resume while your internship in a relevant position to where you want to be working in your career is only two lines long. You want to give more words and attention to the jobs that can propel you forward rather than the jobs that just count for years served, if you will. Now that we've covered the segments of our resume and how we're going to lay those out from top to bottom of the resume. Let's let's get into just a few little tweaks here and there. I strongly advise that you try your hardest to make your resume in Microsoft Word. I understand that the licensing is a lot of money and if you do not have that available to you, you can use Google Docs. If you do not have Google Docs available to you, even though it is free and a a good bet, you could also try using Pages. You could also try using some of these um, online resume design templates and services. But for a traditional format, I do advise Microsoft Office Suites and Microsoft Word to design your resume. 
However, for the love of God, if you send me your resume in a dot doc format, I'm going to find you and punch you in the face. Not really from a liability sense. That was an exaggeration. But for the love of God, everyone, PDF your resumes. When your resume is done and ready to send to somebody else, PDF it. The way you do this is you either file save to PDF or if you're like me and your resume is hovering at two pages because you're using every single speck of inch on the first page, you file, print, print page one of one and you print that to a PDF. I cannot tell you how many working professionals who are older than me and should be wiser than me have sent me Word document formats of their resume. First of all, we live in a digital world. I am more likely than not opening your resume on my smartphone. So if I try to open a Word document on an iPhone, it's just not going to happen. Help me help you and send me a goddamn PDF. While we're on the topic of PDFs, this ensures that no one can change your shit on your resume. Once you PDF that thing, it is locked, it is yours. When you name your PDF, I strongly advise that you use some naming convention that has a date in it. The way that I do mine is I do Pesanello underscore resume underscore month year. And that is how I distinguish which resume version I am sending to somebody. Because as I mentioned, I'm updating this thing once a month. I don't want to send someone a resume from December of 2019. I want to make sure I'm sending them the resume from December of 2020. Also, a naming convention that has a particular date marked within the name of the file does something for the person that you're sending it to. It shows them that this is the most updated document of your experience because very often than not, when you get into the working world, you're going to want to try to apply to companies at various stages of your job search. So for instance, When I've been in the market, I've applied to HBO in January, and then I've went and gone and applied to HBO again in July. So even if I am sending them a very, very similar resume from January to July, you bet your ass I am changing that naming convention so the HR representative that I am working with not only can keep their files together, but also knows that I took some time to update my resume and most likely update my experience to be reflective of an additional six months of time. Also, if a resume is being viewed digitally, which it is more often than not these days, you have the opportunity to make that digital platform work for you. I strongly advise that where you can, you hyperlink text within your resume. If we look at my resume, I have so many hyperlinks in this thing. Discovery is hyperlinked to the corporate discovery site. Food Network Kitchen is hyperlinked to the Food Network Kitchen landing page. CBS News is hyperlinked. CBS Interactive, AMC Networks. And then finally, NYU is hyperlinked three different ways. One for Stern School of Business, one for the School of Continuing and Professional Studies, and one for the Tisch School of the Arts. 
by including a hyperlink in your resume, you are again controlling that narrative. I know a lot of you have experiences with companies that are not as recognizable. If we all could work for Nike, that would be great and we would need no explanation. But if you were working for maybe like a doctor's office or a local business, that experience still counts, but help yourself by showing people exactly the brand that you're representing. And you can do this, as I said, through the hyperlink. Another thing I want to talk about is the font of your resume. So in a traditional resume, a lot of people are very, very into um, Times New Roman because they think that that is the most, you know, um, amazing font that you can be using. But one of the things I want to draw attention to is that while Times New Roman is a very, very formal font, it is a serif font. So for those of you that don't know, there are two types of typeface, serif and sans serif. A serif font is like Times New Roman, while a sans serif font is like Helvetica. Google, the internet, Apple with our iPhones, we live in a sans serif world now. And that just means that like there's no little like arms or legs on our text anymore. So although I am teaching the formal resume format right now, I do think that if you are putting your resume in a, you know, sans serif font, that's only going to benefit you because it's going to look more modern. If you stick to that serif font, if you stick it in Times New Roman, it might look a little dated. And if you're a 20-something-year-old coming out of college, the last thing you are is dated. So that's a good thing to note as well. The font needs to just be professional. It doesn't need to be a particular one. Now let's talk about two things that I would personally suggest you do not include on your resume. The first one's pretty obvious. References available upon request. No shit. Like, honestly, like, yeah, like, you're going to give me references if I want to hire you. That's just how it's going to be. Like, don't put that on your resume. That's a given. And then finally, I see a lot of people that include interests or hobbies in their resume. I am all for baking, I love sewing. I'm really into Netflix as well. And I love taking cell phone photography. But I personally am not going to be including this on my resume. I know that there is a difference of opinion on this. I understand that it shows personality, might separate you from the pack. But I just think that you can be using the space on your resume in a better way than by saying that you love to go horseback riding. I also feel that you never know what type of person or culture you're going to interview with. Some people don't care about who they work next to, and that is a hard truth. So that might deter you from getting the job. On the other hand, if your boss or manager really, really wants to be very good friends with you, you can build that relationship on your own time and in an interview. It doesn't need to be on the resume. That's just my two cents on that very common question. We've covered so much already, but let's 
not underestimate exactly the most important part of the god there's so many most important parts like the whole thing's important but what we've talked about is describing your experiences and the way that you do that on a resume is you like we covered in the LinkedIn episode you write bullets the bullets again are not complete sentences they are frames of thought that allow for you to best tell the story of what you did in the experience that you're showcasing. Before I get into tangible examples of these bullets, let me just summarize the LinkedIn episode very quickly. When you write your bullets for each position that you've held, you want a bullet that shows what the problem was, how it was attacked, how you solved it, and what were the results. We want those results to be sensitive to our current employer. We talk in percentages. We talk year over year. We talk month over month. We use the rule of three because it sounds better and it makes for a better story. And then when you're also um, writing these bullets, you want to include you know, programs you used, brands you represented. You want to make them pop. So let's look to some actual examples. When I was promoted at CBS, I went from an associate marketing manager to a marketing manager. On my resume, which you can find on my website, you'll notice that cbsnews.com has two positions listed underneath it to show that I was promoted. But to go a step further, the bullet for my manager position, which was my the position that I was promoted to, reads, promoted within one year, semicolon, continued to develop, execute, manage, and troubleshoot marketing campaigns, strategize out-of-the-box stunts for cbsnews.com special events, and continue other various responsibilities from my junior role. So what I were doing with this bullet, what I chose to do is I basically summarized my junior position in one bullet and then instead of being redundant because I was doing the same shit as a manager, I was able to just say continued the other various responsibilities from my junior role while also noting that I was promoted within one year. That's a great narrative. That's a great way to explain how you rose within a company and how your, you know, responsibilities shifted over the course of a finite period of time shows a lot of growth. But then I've also been posed with the question of like, well, I'm just an executive assistant. I don't really do much. How the hell do I put that on my resume? I worked with one of my interns um, who we got to a point where we crafted this one bullet to explain her executive assistant position. Primary assistant to the CEO, offering travel scheduling and booking, calendar management, document presentation, and frontline customer service and representation leading up to the Sundance Film Festival and its associated events. 
So what this girl was doing was she was basically just an executive assistant during the time leading up to Sundance and for the festival. But what we have here is such a bigger story where she not only was, yes, doing the grunt work of answering phones and scheduling meetings, but document presentation, frontline customer service. Customer service is a great way to always describe experience because whether your customer is an individual or it is another business, you are representing the company that you work for. So I think that that's a really good example of you know, tying it all together nicely with a bow and then also reinforcing for that interviewer, yeah, I'm going to represent you very, very well. Because when you get hired by a company, not only are you representing yourself, you're representing your boss, your boss's boss, that department and the company as a whole. So they want to know that they're hiring someone that's going to put their best foot forward and, and be good on the front lines. We also talked about How do I put on my resume that I was a waitress, that I worked at a restaurant? Well, I did have an intern that worked in the food services industry, and we came up with the following. Disclaimer, there's a lot of semicolon use in this bullet, so I'm not going to say those out loud, but try to follow along. Perfected and implemented customer service. Responsible for staffing and scheduling. Supervised orders and deliveries. Balanced daily revenues, navigated expected hurdles and challenges amongst customers and peers, outstanding performance led to consistent manager level promotion through food service industry tenure. So what we did was she had a restaurant here, a restaurant there. One was in her college town. One was in her hometown. And we condensed it to a entire bullet that encompassed all the jobs that she had had, all the promotions that she had had achieved. And it really, really tied it up nicely with a bow. Let's see what other examples I have for you all. I know that this is a little bit of a lengthy episode, but I think the best way to craft your own bullets is to read and hear everybody else's. So my one intern, Karen, when we were working on her bullets for her internship at Food Network, we wrote, assisted paid marketing teams in planning and executing campaigns to boost established KPIs. Short, simple, sweet, KPI stands for key performance indicator in case you didn't know. Collected, evaluated, and utilized data from social bakers, Spreadfast, Adobe Analytics, and Google Analytics to advanced highlighted digital marketing priorities. So here's an example where we're using the programs that you were working in in the bullet itself. And Karen's aren't as long as some of the ones that we've been reading. So I think that length isn't always better. It's more how are you conveying your message? How are you telling your story? One thing that I don't want to forget to say on this podcast is about tense usage. We talked about how these are trains of thought, not exactly sentences, but for the job that you hold currently, you should write in the present tense, and for jobs that you held previously, you should write in the past tense. I had a girl the other day, actually, who came to me with this bullet. She had written, manage Facebook's ad leads by using Proactive's program. 
I don't know what that means. So we had an in-depth conversation about what exactly she was doing and how to tell the story of her work, and we came up with this. Conducted thorough Facebook ad follow-throughs with existing and potential patients via personalized phone calls using Proactive, a patient attribution and tracking software. Such efforts saw a 75% increased appointment success rate. Amazing bullet. Shows exactly what she's doing, explains a software that isn't as recognizable to the general public, and shows a KPI, shows a result. A few months ago when my cousin, who is currently at Notre Dame, was trying to get an internship lined up, she reached out to me and on her resume she had the uh, work that she had done at a local farm in New Jersey where we live. She managed a petting zoo for a summer, and I have never been more jealous of someone. Like, Laura just played with animals all summer. I I love that. Um, So what she had written was delegated roles for younger employees, provided basic care for farm animals, and performed everyday upkeep tasks, sold tickets, and interacted with customers. That's fine. That is what she did, but we talked and talked and we spent maybe an hour on the phone trying to really make her experience more robust and to present it in the right way. That's the theme here, guys, is how do you market yourself? So this is what we came up with. We noted that Laura spent about 35 hours per week at the farm and we wrote that she onboarded, managed, and delegated roles for three new employees, trained staff in proper animal care and customer service, observed and surveyed farms' day-to-day operations, and successfully implemented operational improvements. And then finally, this last bullet, which was just chef's kiss on this entire exercise with Laura, successfully administered and enforced COVID-19 regulations such as mask policy, social distancing, capacity constraints, sanitation of heavily touched areas, and implemented online ticket purchases for effective farm reopening and sustainability in a pandemic. Oh my god. It was just, you know, it came together so great. And I think that paying attention to current events and acknowledging them is going to be a trend that we will see across the board, not only from companies, but on resumes and by individuals who were just up against it during this pandemic and how they, you know, problem solved, innovative, and got through. So I wanted to use that as a last example because I think that it really shows, you know, how to capitalize on current events on your resume. I hope that these examples of actual real-life resume bullets are going to help you guys as you think about crafting your own. But the most common thing that I get said to me is, I'm not as good as you and I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know where to start. I think that you can learn how to craft a very, very reputable 
resume bullet and you can do so by helping your friends having your friends help you discussing the job opportunity with a third party having that third party ask you a ton of questions and you very much pay attention to the answers I think you can utilize a thesaurus to get you a diversity of words as you describe your experience. Just make sure that whatever word you are using, you actually look up the definition of it and don't just rely on the thesaurus itself. I think that you can also Google search power words, describing words, and keep looking at other people's resumes, for example. I think that that's the best way to further your own expertise in this because this is a learnable skill. I know you might be thinking that you're spending a lot of time working on a resume that someone might not even read when you go to apply for a job. And, uh, okay, you got me. It might happen. I have been in interviews before where it's so blatantly obvious that someone that I'm interviewing with has not looked at my resume. But there's two reasons that we spend so much time crafting this story, choosing our words carefully, and writing out the best representative story of our experience. The first reason is because what if they actually do fucking read it? Oh, God. (laughs) And also, like, if you're in an interview, like, someone read it. Like, I don't know who, but, like, someone read it and was like, oh, yeah, this chick, like, she can do the job. But the second reason that we work on our resumes like this is because doing the work on the paper means that we're doing the work in our own head. And when you are in that conversation, you can control it better. You can utilize your buzzwords and you've already thought through the narrative of your experience so that these questions that are typically asked in an interview are answered more eloquently on your end because you've already done the legwork. You're essentially already writing your own script. So trust the process. I There is a method to my madness and this is why crafting your resume is so, so, so important. Home stretch of the episode, guys. Thanks so much for hanging in. The last little bit that I just want to add is about versions of your resume. So we talked about the saving and naming conventions of how you handle your resume documents. But one thing I do want to touch on very quickly is the resume that you make for a job in particular. We will talk more in depth about this when we do episodes about reviewing job descriptions, but if there are certain keywords in a job description, if there are certain qualifications in a job description, and if you could copy and paste those into your resume directly, that statistically will allow for your resume to stand out more so in a vast pool of applicants than it would if those words, if those keywords weren't there. So as we kind of all know, resume screenings are now done with algorithms. And the algorithm is looking for the keyword and trying to match it. So that's why whether you're applying for a job at HBO, CBS, 
or discovery, you're going to want a resume for that job at HBO, a different version for the job at CBS, and a different version for the job at Discovery. This takes a lot of time, and it's not something that I always do. It depends on how badly I want the job, but I did want to make note of it. There are online tools where you can pay and have the keywords of a job description highlighted for you and then worked into your resume, but we don't throw money at problems over here. We do the fucking work ourselves, all right? And then finally, um, along the lines of versions of resume, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the creative resume. So if you are a editor, a producer, a graphic designer, you might have a creative resume and it might be design dependent. It might have screenshots of your marketing campaigns and there are a ton of templates available to you online. I personally feel that this is a great tool to showcase how you are a diverse and well-rounded employee. However, very briefly, I just want to say, we apply to the job with our formal resume. And then when we get in front of the hiring manager, we whip out our creative resume, our creative profile, our working profile, our list of references, what have you. We whip that out as our supplemental material. And that is a whole other topic that we will get into when we talk about interviewing. For more ideas on resumes, uh, please check out that video that I mentioned. I will be making a video to supplement this episode of Switching Majors. It will be available on my website. And in that video, not only will I teach you guys the table method for setting up your resumes, but we'll also look at some different resumes because There's two things to always do with your resume, your living, breathing document, is to constantly read other people's and to constantly look at other people's. That is how yours will be the best that it can be. For those of you that don't know or this episode has been so long that you can't remember, my name is Mary Ellen Pesanello. Be sure to hit up my website, maryellenpesanello.com. Email me, DM me, hit me up with your questions. And thanks so much for listening to this episode of Switching Majors. Switching Majors.